From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in celebrated Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are parasocial relationships and narrative pacing. And so, everyone is ready. Let's start. That was pretty good pacing. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a narrative, but it was... Good okay, pacing. I'm cutting this off right now. Gonna... <laughs> cool. Nope, we're not doing it. Okay. Hi, First order of business. Yeah. Uh, Ellen, you're all better. I'm, I am mostly better. Yeah, well, I tested negative for COVID, and it's been, you know, the required several freaking days yeah. that the CDC suggests that you yeah. lock yourself up. It's been about two weeks since your symptoms uh, started? Has it been two weeks, or has it been like... 18 years <laughs> um yeah it's i made it all the way to this point yeah. mm-hmm. in the pandemic without getting sick and i am glad that i have vaccines and boosters because that was rough yeah um would not uh, would would not recommend <laughs> zero out of ten zero out of ten i still have some lingering um like symptoms but i think it's because i you know when i was sick i also was then you know my immune system was busy right so other stuff like snuck in um on the song side so Mm -hmm. i think i'm battling that but uh yeah it's from what i've heard from other people who've had covid around the same time it takes like a month to completely right it's there are things that stay with you but you're you know you're free to move about the cabin now yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can come back into the clubhouse which is the main thing Mm -hmm. um and I get to see you guys in person. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and I watered my plant. Steven watered the plant for me last week. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Steven. Thanks. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and then remembered. <laughs> but I did do it. So Exactly. That's what counts. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, plant, yeah. the plant doesn't care as long as it doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I would care if I was a plant. But You're, you're not a plant. Exactly. Uh, so much, you're so much more than a plant. It's true. I One would consider me human. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Serious Games Conference is happening this week, yes? Yeah, that's a thing that is happening this week. Um, okay. When you say this week, do you mean the week we're recording or the week this episode comes out? The week that we are recording. Okay, so that's about two weeks ago. Yeah, for listeners, so listeners two weeks ago. And I will um, I will see how many, I can, how many sessions I can attend mm-hmm. live in person. Um, I volunteered to help out again this year. I think I'll be doing some video editing like I did last year. And, uh, yeah, I, there were some pretty cool sessions. So, um, hopefully I can get some recordings and get to some of them live and get some good ideas that we'll talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to hear more of Ellen talking about it last year, we, you, you went over it a little bit so you can just search the website. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mark made a whole thing. Uh, but it's not just that. There's lots of events going around. It's, it's like the summer game news season. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, we're not. We're not going to go through all the like news because we're not that kind of program. But yeah. like E3 didn't happen this year. It's supposed to happen again next year. Mm. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, a bunch of other things happened instead. It's still kind of like, you know, June press release. Yeah. Like time. everybody has their own directs now. Yeah. Uh, not Nintendo yet. Although yeah. by the time you hear this listener, they may have announced one. There, I think there's rumors that's supposed to be at the end of the month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a, a couple things that um, uh, folks within our, our, you know, near our circle were involved in um, during, um, I think it was the Wholesome Direct. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong where uh, Lumberjack was, oh, yeah. um, was uh, given a surprise release. 
um, that's out now that um, our friend from Armor Games, August Brown, uh, was a producer on that uh, yeah. for the, the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was really exciting to see that, that, that get out. That's cool. Um, it's a very cute, fun game. Yeah, about, it looks uh, super cute. Being a bear and uh, destroying totems of in- of industry um, <laughs> yeah it's like my career goal yeah <laughs> um other thing is uh steam next fest uh again these are all things that happened two weeks ago for you listeners mm. um steam next fest is i actually don't know how long it goes but um it's just another one of those steams pretend holidays they have so many of them now um <laughs> But uh, its focus is on a bunch of demos. Um, And so if you're a Steam user, if you're part of that social network, there's like rewards for, you know, and incentives to play a lot of these demos. Um, And um, um, the game I'm working on has a sort of a side spinoff that I'm not working on, but I'm seeing developing, um, which is really fun, called Slayer's X Terminal Aftermath um, Vengeance of the Slayer. (laughs) Spelt wrong on purpose. Oh, that's great. Um, it's like a, a, a Doom or Duke Nukem style, old, you know, boomer shooter, right? Yeah. Um, that it was created by a character from Hypnospace. Mm. So it's got an extra level of meta to it. And, um, but it, it, you know, that takes place in 1999. This game, the, the, the conceit is, is that the character Zane was working on this game and then lost everything like under a couch or something. Wow. And then 20 years later, <laughs> he's 37 years old and he works at like a dollar store and he found the old code and then finished it up. Oh, that's And then cool. released it. Yeah. But it all takes place, like he's, um, Jay Tholen, who is the you know, creator of Hypnospace and, and this game, he created a Twitter account for this character and it's just in character promoting it. Amazing. Yeah. And it's really incredible because when people say things like that are part of our real world, he'll act like um it's like the Westworld robots. He like won't know that it's happening. Oh. We're like I've never heard of that. And <laughs> <laughs> and so just the commitment to the character is really cool and yeah. uh, that game has a demo that's out as part of Next Fest and uh, the res- that came out today as we're recording. Ooh. Um the response has been pretty good, uh which is really exciting because that will actually hype up you know, yeah. keeping that universe in people's minds will help uh, when it's time for uh, Dream Settler to uh, have a, a demo or a beta, awesome. which fingers crossed shouldn't be too long from now. It will be a while from now. <laughs> Not too long from Mark, now. What date is it? Okay. All right. <laughs> Mark this on the calendar. Yeah. Noted, this is when Mark said. Yeah. I made a lot of progress on the the uh, uh, the page builder this week, which yeah. is uh, Hypnospace. You know, you could, has a, a separate program where you can m- mod and make your own fake internet pages. And we want to make that part of the core gameplay this time around. Um, this isn't a reveal or anything. People, you know, know this. We've talked about this before. Um, but I'm I'm leading that part of the the development, and so I'm kind of just I took a break from making the game to make this like Microsoft front page utility essentially. <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting. So I had a lot of ma- a lot of progress this week. So it's kind of been a I'm very high on the project at the moment. There's ups and downs when you're working on these things. Like, um, for sure, I'm in an up phase right now. That's yeah. good. It's pretty cool. And then, and then seeing all this stuff about Slayer's X being like, you know, getting its demo and and being in the Discord and playing some of the the pre-release demo builds and providing some feedback and just seeing that happen, it's been nice because I don't have anything to do with that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just, kind of just to, to sit around on the sidelines and watch it uh, get the reception it's been getting. Yeah, it's, cool. it's still your team though. You know? Yeah, it's like, exactly yeah, what it exactly. is. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. In our circle news, yes. Uh, Origins, big tabletop convention, and GDEX, uh, big uh, video game convention, happening at the same time in Ohio. And um, our pal uh, Max, who's the guest booker for this program, um, had his game Read the Robotnist there, uh, showing it off on the floor. Yeah. And what happened? 
Oh, I won an award. Yeah. Like a huge award too. Like it was big, right? Yeah. yeah it was, it's got a whole like plaque and it's shiny. I know. It's, it's so fancy. I think yeah. it had a box. It, it, if for people who need to imagine, it looks like a Cable Ace Award, if people remember what those looked like. No one does. But it's this crystal diamond shaped thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it won best in show um, for uh, uh, for the indies uh, on the floor. Yeah. Very cool. Very proud of Max. Yeah. Um, and we'll have links to um, where you can check out the earlier version of the game on itch and you can wish list the improved version, which is coming to Steam um, soonish. Yes. Um, so that's very cool. So mm-hmm. very proud of our of our our, uh, our Max. Yeah. Hey, Max. Yeah. Um, and our pal, uh, Peter, who helped us uh, get uh, Glom published, mm-hmm. um, uh, is there um, testing out uh, and pitching uh, board games that he's representing. Yep. Um, so it's sort of interesting that we have a little bit of presence <laughs> within our circle on both halves of that combined convention. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm just thinking about this. I don't want to get us off topic because this could be another entire episode. But like, I get such a, like a, such a boost from other people's successes. Yeah. Even it's just like, yeah, he's out there doing the thing. We're like, Max got an award. It's like, yeah. yes. I just yeah. feel so excited about that. Yeah, it's really great. Keep doing the stuff, you guys. Okay, so I have a question for you guys to uh, lead into this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could pick just one, I mean, maybe you can pick more than one. I'm not going to be super strict with this question, right? But yeah. if you could pick a video game character that you could be real life friends with, who would it be and why? Kirby. Okay. Why? Because <laughs> he's cute. That would get tired so quick. <laughs> it would just well, be like the thing yeah. about friendships is you don't have to even interact with them all the time. You know, he, don't, he doesn't live with you in your apartment eating all your food. That's not a friendship. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that actually goes to like what I, I find this question very difficult because yeah. there are so many contextual questions right. that you have the answer to. Like, mm-hmm. do I live in that world? Like, you what, live in this world. What? Well, then, what, what use are they in this world? You know, I'm thinking oh, like you're, you're just friends. You don't have to have a use for your friends. They're <laughs> right. just people you hang out with, and you. <laughs> well, like no, 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 them. no. But like, like I, I agree with Mark because, like, think about it. If you were friends with with, I can't think of uh, no, no, not Nolan North. He exists. What's the <laughs> g- the guy he voices um, in Uncharted? What's his name? That guy. Okay, that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, you'd be pull, like thrust into a bunch of adventures, or you'd have to hear him talk about his adventures all the time. So don't pick that person. Well, uh, okay. That's well, fair. I guess what I mean is like, <laughs> and and that's the closest example of a real person you could be really friends with. I'm yeah. th- thinking about like Mass Effect, which have a lot. Which I'm trying to think of characters that have a lot going for them that aren't just mascots. Don't just have mechanics mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. and i don't like i'm thinking about like garris or garris uh, would be fun or you know or or any of the any of the sort of popular characters of mass effect i'm like actually would i enjoy hanging out with them outside the context of the the adventure they're on yeah you I, know i feel like i feel like garris garris is my boy yeah. when, I'm, when i'm playing mass effect but also like I just feel like he'd be the kind of person where if you get him on a topic, he would just go and go and go and go and go and go right. and go. And you'd be like, "Hey, I'll see you next week." Oh my god! Yeah. Um, yep. But still, for sure, I would definitely want to hang out with Rex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to hang out with Rex. Have one word conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Rex. Um, yeah. So. Gosh, I really thought this would be like more of a conversation with you guys. You're like Kirby, and Mark's like no one. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm honestly just dodging the question. I don't have a good answer. Yeah. You just don't you don't you don't want to be friends with any video game characters. I don't really. I, maybe I've maybe talked about this a little bit before, but I really engage with video games like their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not that 
even with the interactive component, I'm not that interested in inserting myself into them. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also, yeah, I would, you know, I would like, I enjoy, I would imagine I would enjoy hanging out with Kirby, but just for a little while, like Mark was saying, I don't <laughs> want Kirby eating yeah. all of my food. I think that Kirby would be sick of me before I got sick of Kirby, because oh. I would just be like, eat that. Well, what about that? <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you eat that? I mean, having a living waste disposal uh, as a pal would be kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I'm thinking, like, you know, my favorite character, like, Luigi's my favorite Mario character. Yeah. But, like, I couldn't imagine what it would be like, because there's just not enough there there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, a personality that's been fleshed out. Right. Like, and some games have that, and some games don't. Like, um, May Borowski from Night in the Woods would be super cool to hang out with her mm-hmm. for a while. Mm. She's also a little much sometimes. But, <laughs> yeah. like, like, that's a, and all the characters in that game, for example, are really, really well fleshed out. Um, but that's the kind of game that that is. Right. So, that makes sense. Anyway, so I wanted to ask about this because leads into the topic of parasocial relationships. And um, you will note in our little script document that I have lots and lots of notes <laughs> because <laughs> I, uh, it turns out there's a lot less living in my head on this topic than I thought when I listed it on our <laughs> list of topics ah. that we wanted to discuss. Okay. So I had to do a little bit of research um, and I didn't, you know, I'm not an expert by any means, but this is kind of a, it can lead to some hopefully interesting conversation and definitely uh, some links for listeners to look at and read on their own time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of parasocial relationship is a theory that was, I think, developed first in the 1950s, initially relating to like television personas. Yeah. So it's this idea that um, it's a, like a parasocial interaction where you're, you are consuming media in a way that feels to your brain like an interpersonal interaction. Yeah. But the interpersonal part is missing, right? Because there's nothing, it's one directional. Right. There's nothing back to the persona. It's just you consuming the persona. But your brain is so hardwired for social interaction that like it uses the same tools to interpret that information. Right. And to like carve out emotional space for these people. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of different sources here, but basically it's like you've got this illusion of intimacy, friendship, and identification with this persona. But you, this that person that person that's on the other side of that persona doesn't know anything about you, right? So, for example, like you might feel like you know your favorite podcasters personally, and maybe you do because you know them personally. But like if you hear a lot about their personal lives and they speak conversationally and they make jokes and so on and like so forth, you will feel like you have like you know them. Like when you f- you feel a familiarity when you start the podcast, when you hear their voice, when you hear something like positive in the news about them, you have like a a connection to them as if they were a real friend of yours, right. but they are not. So like, I feel this way about the McElroys now because I've listened to so much of their stuff and I've listened to their stuff for so long. It's mm-hmm. like, Justin McElroy. But if I said that to Justin McElroy, if I saw him on the street, it would be like, he'd be like, this is an annoying fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'd be probably really gracious about it. But yeah, like we don't have a personal connection. Um, so that's just kind of an example of what yeah. that's like. And what's interesting about it, I think, uh, with the rise of of like Twitch streamers and that and, and podcasters and that more that intimate format, that I think more people know about parasocial relationships than than did prior, yeah. to, you know, in the last decade or two. Um, but I think what's important about it, it's not a delusion, right? right? It's mm-hmm. not you don't you you feel like you know them. At no point do you believe that they're your friend, right? right? I mean, uh, there's there are that's another topic. But I think what you're describing is that is that that feeling. That is that is instinctual mm-hmm. for for us as social animals, not necessarily getting so carried away that like you can't tell fact from fiction or anything like that. Right. Even though a lot of people sort of frame the conversation in that way about mm-hmm. these things, because it's sort of it's there's something kind of like mockable about it, 
you know? And so you can kind of like that person is, is like, is crazy. Is, is it, you know, a, you know, a, oh. a, a, mm-hmm. a that you, you throw at someone for like feel having those feelings. Yeah. Um, and it, it's treated a lot. I think it's treated a lot like that when it isn't really that like no one, no, pr- even when you're really caught up in that, you know, you don't actually li- ever literally believe it. Right. Like a well-adjusted person, a person who is socially well-adjusted and maybe even parasocially well-adjusted, because that might be a thing we got to think about these yeah. days now too. Right. You know, like you, you have a good sense of personal boundaries and that's with people that you're interacting with face to face. Um, people who are presenting themselves as themselves online, you have a good sense of boundaries. And then also people who are presenting themselves as personas online, you have a sense of boundaries. And a well-adjusted person will be able to navigate that. Right. Um, maybe well-adjusted is the wrong word because like there are definitely some, uh, what's the word, like non-neurotypical conditions mm-hmm. that that make that more difficult for people. So I don't necessarily mean, like I don't think that necessarily means that you're not well-adjusted. It's just right. like there's yeah. a lot going on. But like, I think for the vast majority of people, those boundaries are maybe not always easy to navigate, but it's not, it's not, it's kind of a natural part of your day. It's a natural part of your social interaction. Yeah. Uh, you you listen to the same talk radio host or whatever every day on the way to work or something like that. It, it predates a lot of the newer media. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that familiarity is important. Like you, you, you know, you, uh, uh, sit down and hang out with Johnny Carson for an hour before you go to bed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. Specifically, like talk shows like that. Yeah. yeah, and the language around it on the it, from it, from media personalities has long encouraged that kind of uh, metaphor. Mm-hmm. So you know you'll you'll hear some like a TV host say like thank you for welcoming me into your home, mm-hmm. like talking to all the listeners or all the all the viewers. Yeah, and it's it's sort of like those metaphors are so strong, um, and it really it encourages that kind of. Um, it's not like play acting exactly. But it, it, it's that the uh, uh, analog to mm-hmm. to those uh, in person experiences. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it, and it's interesting. There's, I think, there's more to revisit here, and we'll come back around to it. As to like, what do you design for if you're kind of cr- trying to create that sort of parasocial relationship? Yeah. Should you design for it, and so on and so forth? But like, that the person, the listener, the consumer is for sure carving out a part of their life for this persona yeah mm-hmm. um and so i think it makes sense to like for the persona to acknowledge that in some way um i guess just to kind of flesh out the definition a little bit more uh a counter example would be okay your best friend from another country who plays destiny with you every week but you've never met in person mm-hmm. right that's not a parasocial relationship no they're they're presenting themselves as a real person you are presenting yourself as a real person your relationship has you know back and forth in both directions and it's evolving Mm -hmm. like the both of you right and i I think like if you think about just like the definition of a relationship when you have a relationship with another person there's a a back and forth Mm -hmm. you bring something to the table they bring something to the table Mm -hmm. in a parasocial relationship uh the 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 host or whoever the entertainer is bringing something to the relationship but you're not bringing anything to their relationship aside from money I guess, or viewership, you know, yeah. does that make sense? They don't have any individual relationship with you. Exactly. You're just a member of the fans. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. But I think this is very definitely true for streamers, podcasters, folks who folks who have a presence on Patreon, for example, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. us, yeah. Um, or have a Discord or something, is that those parasocial relationships 
are it's it's not it's not a, an all or nothing proposition. I think. Yeah, it's it's a it's an imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. So like um, like you know we have a, a Discord channel that we engage with the listeners of the show on, right? And we and that those are actual conversations and actual that there is some relationship there. Yes, but it's very contextualized and it's what very imbalanced, right? Right, and so that those would be parasocial relationships as well. Yes, and I think that when you know uh, you know uh, if you uh, streamers are like oh let's engage in chat. Right. Um, yeah, and yeah. Like that is, that is, they are actually engaging with their listeners, mm-hmm. um, but it still doesn't escape that definition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it can make that because there's some some there there, like it can make that that uh, that the parasocial relationship a lot stronger mm-hmm. because right. there's, there's more than just someone behind the screen. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's a good thing to bring up. And that's something that like folks who are content creators and who are and that is now part of the course for building an audience um there's a lot of things you have to be careful about mm-hmm. um what what of you are are you revealing right right um especially for people who make lots and lots of content streamers particularly who they just need they have like hours to fill yeah um yeah. it's you know it, it's hard to uh, put a wall there sometimes and people can they learn more about you just by you know matter of course mm-hmm. um and so that that balance is is strange mm-hmm. right yeah yep i think so I think um, one thing I'm not quite sure on, and we can dig into this too as we talk a little bit more about parasocial relationships in games specifically, yeah. is like avatars, right? So I'm thinking specifically of, okay, well, let's, let's just think of World of Warcraft, right? Very popular. We can talk about that. Um, I didn't like role play. When I was active in World of Warcraft, I didn't role play mm-hmm, sure. in my character, right? She yeah. was just an avatar for me and, you know, we'd run around. I got run around and... But she didn't. I didn't create a persona for her. I didn't create a backstory for her. I didn't have a. I didn't flesh her out as a character. She was really just representation of me in the digital world. Yeah. So I didn't have a parasocial relationship with her, and none of the other people I was playing with structured their characters that way. So they didn't have parasocial relationships with my character either. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine, <laughs> um, just from doing a whole bunch of role playing with D anD D, that like the RP servers. If you were taking it really seriously and you did have a backstory for your character and you did have a persona that you were enacting when you were, you know, logged into the game, mm-hmm. then you could have a parasocial relationship with your character and you could have a parasocial relationship with others' characters and also simultaneously a real relationship with the people who were playing those characters. Mm. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's an interesting thing that happens with with games that I'm not sure can happen in other media because of that there is this agreed upon delineation between this is a character and this is the player. Um, so that's just something that came to mind. I wanted to toss that out there. Any reactions? It, it is interesting when you talk about like the relationship you have with another person's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that is a still a real relationship. Right. Um, I, I, I would be hesitant to call that parasocial, mm. even if it's, even if it's uh, fake. Right, mm-hmm. because it's still is, there's still two people behind their own the wheels of their characters interacting where the interaction is happening. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and then, but when you think about like uh, like NPC characters, like that is where you do a lot of you you project relationships. Right. Um, so like you know you you don't want any of your Pikmin to die or whatever. <laughs> you have yeah. an emotional <laughs> investment in there, and and that is has a lot of the hallmarks of parasocial relationships in that uh, you know you're putting a lot. And you, you again, you're not fooling yourself, but mm-hmm. you're feeling like there is a thing when there's no, but there's also nobody on the other side. Yeah. Right. Um, 
so that's that is interesting. Like you're you're expanding the definition further than I would have expected. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm expanding the definition as I am asking a question. I actually, yeah. I wrote down like okay, here's an example of a parasocial relationship. Here's a counter example, and here's the I'm not sure category, and that's where I put other players' personas and avatars. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I just don't. I just don't know. Well, okay. Imagine you're playing D and D with a bunch of strangers, um, and you don't get to see their faces or anything like that. But you get to you know they're they're narrating what they're doing in the game. Is that are you, are do you, are you in a are you is that a relationship with the other players or are your characters just relate you know yeah that's that's another? that's the question and that might be I mean this sounds like an academic discourse because like I just don't feel qualified to really make a stance on it sure but like yeah I mean like at that point if I'm playing with strangers and I'm interacting with their, those characters then yeah I guess it's maybe more parasocial because. Yeah. I'm not interacting with the players, but on the other hand, it's not a one-way street, right? Like my choices with my character are interacting with their choices and their character in this real-time environment. Yeah. And so that aspect of it to me doesn't seem like parasocial because it it is there is two-way directionality mm-hmm. in the relationship. So mm-hmm. and I think that's what Mark was kind of getting at. Yeah, and it 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 is interesting. Like the the relationships that you have in your life um at work, for example, if you if if the place where you work is such where you are you are doing a lot of code switching or you're putting on a mask, yeah, uh, not to not to uh, define it too much or not to give it a, a negative connotation, mm. but where you know then the relationships you that you have with the people who are also doing that, mm-hmm. um, it, it is essentially both of you are creating characters. Yeah. So I so th- I almost think that's like a separate. Um, dimension on these things yeah. yes right so it's like the the character you're creating whether it's in a video game a D session or at work mm-hmm. uh they are having a relationship with those other characters yes right yeah. where, where you fit in that is is another matter it's it's, it's a layer deeper i yeah. guess yeah um, sounds extra complicated yeah yep um okay so now let's get into the, the research that I did because there was so much. Um, so first of all, there's this really great PDF that's out there called The Player's Parasocial Interaction with Digital Entities. And it really just goes into um, the definition of parasocial interaction kind of within a game context. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to paraphrase it as in like, okay, it's a one-sided social relationship between a player and a digital entity occurring as if the entity were a real person, even though the player knows it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, so like... I think Gladys was one of the examples from the from the white paper. Um, I think that, you know, like any of the the uh I mean just like like Rex, for example, right? Or Garrus, for example. You yeah. know, these are they're they're not controlled by other people, they're not controlled by you. They have a scripted preset like universe of responses, but yeah. they're all written in a way that brings a persona to life and allows you to engage with it emotionally. Um yeah, so that was really cool. I thought that was really helpful. And then they, um, this particular paper like breaks down a few different examples f- that are common in gaming of how the player interacts with the game and the personas in the game. Mm-hmm. And then how it says like, okay, this is why this fits the original definition of parasocial interaction and why this other example doesn't. And so I think that's a really um, good read if you want to understand a little bit more about how those specific things can play out. The other thing that I looked into. <laughs> it was actually just happy accident. I've been listening to a podcast called No Stupid Questions, mm-hmm. which is on the Freakonomics radio network. And uh it's they've got you got a um a psychologist and someone who's like well versed in behavioral economics and 
they just talk about all kinds of interesting things where those two topics intersect. And they happen to have one on parasocial relationships, <laughs> like the near past. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to listen to this one that says, this one episode titled, Is It Weird for Adults to Have Imaginary Friends? Um, and it was all about parasocial relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the thing that was interesting about that podcast is they finally got to the question about like, okay, is it a bad thing? You know, like, is it is it weird, like they said, for adults to have imaginary friends? And um, they were talking at this point about why it's it's this built-in kind of reflexive response to relationship information coming in for yeah. you to have feelings back towards the thing that's giving you that information. Yeah. Right. Even though you're not actually getting the live, like, real feedback you'd get from a real relationship. And so uh, that was a really good listen. Um, as far as, you know, thinking about the good and the bad from a psychological perspective. Um, and Angela Duckworth, who's a psychologist who's on that podcast, she, you know, she basically said, okay, if you're thinking about how useful parasocial relationships are in maintaining mental health, they may be useful if you're trying to like practice certain things um, it, by, you know, thinking through hypotheticals and so on and so forth. But if you, you know, if you're trying to, she said, I think she used the phrase on ramp onto different ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. If you're using that as a replacement for socializing, socializing, that's gonna be something to take a look at, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what other things pop out as potentially good and bad things about parasocial relationships. I, I folks, when you brought up the imaginary friends things, I immediately thought of like how I will have imaginary arguments with my friends <laughs> about certain topics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which um, friends? Hmm. I'm not going to answer that. Uh, <laughs> just all of my friends, really. It's not, <laughs> it's not a particular person. Um, just because, like, I, I, I don't know, they might have brought up a topic, and then I was like, oh, I'm uneducated on this thing, but then later on, I'm like, oh, I have, I have a better understanding of this thing, so now I'm going to to beat you with facts and logic on this or whatever <laughs> um, in my head, which, you know, is unfair. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> you always win. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, sometimes I lose arguments with myself in my head. But anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stephen. <laughs> no, I win too. So it works out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm reminded, reminded of that. But I think like that is me like practicing my new knowledge and understanding of this particular topic mm -hmm. and like trying to better, I guess, understand what what i had an issue with in the past and why why i've evolved from that um now mm -hmm. so like I, i'm imagining especially like with respect to like imaginary friends like when you're a child you're like practicing relationships and like communication and stuff with your imaginary friend yeah. mm -hmm. um so like i think that principle like sticks with people as they grow up it's just it's, it's it just manifests itself in a different way um yeah so i don't know that that has to do with Parasocial well, I think it, I think that's ex I think that's exactly I mean I think that's close to what um what I got from mm -hmm. Angela Duckworth's um words on that which mm -hmm. was like yeah. if it's serving the same kind of a purpose that a child like that a ch child's imaginary friend does yeah you know or if it's for entertainment whatever that's fine but if it's a substitute for real social interaction yeah real relationships yeah. that's where it can potentially be a little dangerous um, what comes to mind just from what you were saying there, Stephen, is like um, sometimes if I, you know, because I I have chronic depression, um, and so I've done a lot of work over the years to try to catch um, 
like catch those intrusive thoughts patterns when yeah. they start getting carried away. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've, you, one of the techniques that I use to get myself out of a pattern of thinking is first of all, I recognize that I'm in a, like a negative pattern of thinking. I'll be like, okay, if I, if I said this out loud to Eric, how much would he like look at me in that way that he looks at me like, come on. <laughs> and I don't, and now at this point, I don't even have to have the conversation with him. I can just imagine the conversation with him and it, it helps me break like negative patterns of thinking. Yeah. And if I need some extra help, then I'll just be like, Eric, this is how, what I'm thinking. And I'm imagining that you would say this. And so that's, I'm just saying this out loud and he'll be like, yep. And that'll be the end of the conversation because I'll <laughs> say his entire half of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that might be an example. I mean, it's not a parasocial relationship because I'm married to the guy. We have a real relationship. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. But like, I could imagine that kind of thing happening with like, a character that I really loved. Yeah. You know. Well, you're both describing a mechanism that that you use in parasocial relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you imagine well, how your conversation would go with someone who you don't you can't have that conversation with. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean in in the both of your cases you can have that conversation, right. but that's also a tool that's used when you can't, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think what's interesting Stephen you were talking about having those imaginary conversations with people you know. Um, if for a purpose, right? Yeah. Like you know, uh, um, uh, f- f- to win an argument, right? <laughs> right, like a sort of adversarial relationship, and that's that's essentially a a, a healthy mechanism so that you don't fight with your friends too much. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> that's maybe I know I, I'm realizing I don't imagine my brother in this way, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you're actually yelling a lot. Yeah, but I think I think what it does is it 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 says to me that that those kind of parallel relationships are not always media based, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think a lot about. Uh, when you work in an office and you, the boss doesn't know you that well, right? right? And, and or your supervisor isn't paying a lot of attention to you, or when you're in school and there's the popular kid that you want to be friends with, yeah. You 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 use those tools, but but that's where it can you can get carried away, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think any of those kinds of things, like when you're watching a YouTube video and someone is, you know, revealing more of their personality to encourage that kind of parasocial relationship, you engaging in that isn't by itself a negative thing mm-hmm. right but it that mechanism can be like all things in moderation right yes and so I, I, I think a lot about when you you know like i think we've all probably especially when we were younger you have someone who you think is your friend but they don't think of you as your friend yeah right um oh no <laughs> <laughs> and so um and, and that realization then you realize what you've been doing is that you've been it, you've been you've been having this relationship that that that's a case where you can fool yourself, right? Mm-hmm. right? And so I think when it's structured, like in, in, in media, then it's probably a little bit easier to tell fact from fiction, yeah. right? Um, I think in the real world is where you, you can, if you don't recognize those, those mechanisms, then, then you can be in trouble yeah. huh. in certain cases. That's interesting because I hadn't thought about it that way. Like I've been thinking about the parasocial relationships and like practicing different skills or on-ramping different ways of thinking um as like very like thinking through specific skills like thinking through conversations or thinking through your own emotional reaction to potential situations but what you're describing mark is like parasocial relationships are a means for you to hone your imagination period is mm. almost what it sounds like which is i kind of like that it's broader than i was initially thinking and it feels right to me hmm. ah and so to relate this back to game development that's where we're going next, Stephen. Yes. So I guess the questions I wanted to bring back to you, which is like, is this something like, is this something to aim for? And if we're thinking about developing characters, do we, 
does thinking about the parasocial relationships that players might have with those characters influence the way that we construct those characters? Yeah. I will say, um, and I, this is pro- this is probably how I think about a lot of media. And I said up, up front, I tend not to project myself into something. I, I like being an audience member, right? yeah. even, even when it's interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think about like fandom culture and yep. when somebody says like Luke Skywalker wouldn't behave that way because I know Luke Skywalker really well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And it, I think it's, if you're someone who's creating characters and this is, you know, the anime is loaded with this, you know, um, where you have to, I think you have to be a little wary of encouraging those kinds of relationships with your audience. Um, uh, either creating characters that can en- engender those feelings or as a, as a creator, as a personality, like leaning too hard into it because it's a successful marketing strategy. Mm. I think there is a lot of danger there. Sure. And I think about games where uh, people get really attached to certain characters and then that limits their imagination for what, what those characters can do right. because they put them in a box. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, I've defined my relationship with that character and I feel so strongly about it because I've been encouraged to, though that suddenly if they're different or they do something that I don't expect them to do, then that can be very painful in the, in the way a, a friend who betrays you can feel yeah. pain. And I think that's really dangerous. And I, th- you see this from YouTubers a lot who like, they don't want to play Minecraft anymore. They want to play something else. Yeah. But they kind of can't mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, and that's really fascinating. Cause it's like that, the way that you described it in that like a person got hurt because the 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 relationship that they thought they had established or the understanding that they thought they had of this person was proven was shown to be false yeah can be hurtful in a way that I, I, a creator did not intend right and i i think like yeah if you if you bring if you if you bring it back to like streamers um or you know content creators um, you know, and they play Minecraft a lot and they all of a sudden want to play Hearthstone. Um, it would be strange for this person, for, for a viewer to, you know, as, have established this relationship as the Minecraft expert playing this other game all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, because it's not the relationship that they wanted or cared to have or expected to have. Right. And a lot of times you'll watch a TV show and get canceled. Right. And that'll be a bummer. Yes. But like, and you're mad at the network for doing it. Oh, right. Yeah. But like, Netflix. It's, it's different because you don't, you don't have that. If, if it were that the characters on the show canceled the show, yeah. it would feel more like a betrayal. So the, that's not a metaphor that really works. Right. Sure, but yeah. when you think a lot of, and I, this is Star Wars is actually quite a good example of this mm-hmm. is where like people who think Luke Skywalker would never do that. Right. They're not. They, they, they are, they do are, they're in the right mind, right? They're not, they're wrong maybe, but like <laughs> they, they're not uh, delusional. Yeah. And so what they do then is they blame the writer or the director or the producer, and then they put a lot of hate on that person. Yes. And, and, and kind of think that they, they own those, that, those stories and that character. And because, because that, that, they have that relationship, they are free to describe the people who, who are, who create those things. Mm-hmm. In, in really negative ways, even right. though if it weren't for them, you wouldn't see, have it at all. You yeah, know? Right, right. And I, it, that's the kind of cognitive dissonance you can have. Um, and I think a lot about like Star Wars and Star Trek, like certain groups of fans will talk about like Kathleen Kennedy or Alex Kurtzman, the producers of each of those series, mm-hmm. and get really like have really personal attacks against those people. Yeah. Um, because that's because they're not going to say Luke Skywalker disappointed me. 
Right. Right. Mm. It's a. It's, yeah. Right. Even though that's yeah. really that's what the that's what the creator is supposed to do mm. is to say like this character will change or grow and it will and the relationship you have with them it should be fraught and you should be like oh I didn't that's part of the experiencing a narrative mm-hmm. experiencing yeah. fiction but when you have that kind of relationship to something you really love mm-hmm. then it doesn't feel like that happened because literally that character didn't make those decisions right yeah and so you as a normal functioning non delusional human being do have someone to blame. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so that's why it's hard to reason with people who who go really far at the deep end of those things. Yeah. Because it all does add up. Like their opinions don't don't seem, you know, delusional. They right. seem like it makes sense. But there's that extra layer they're not considering, like yeah. their motivations for those feelings. Yeah. I haven't, I mean, the as you were describing that, Mark, the character that immediately came to mind for me was Daenerys Targaryen in the Game of Thrones show. Yeah. Like this season eight, I have really bad feelings about that. <laughs> um, even though like I, when I talk through it, like the character progression could make sense, mm-hmm. but like the execution of it wasn't exactly what I wanted, like wasn't convincing and so on and so forth. So yeah, like my my analytical brain is coming into conflict with like my parasocial relationship with Daenerys Stormborn. Yeah. And She's like, ah, they did her dirty. <laughs> but she doesn't exist. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, on the other hand, like the things that make a parasocial relationship happen are the things that can that that you look for when you're trying to do really good character development, right? Like you have got a compelling, compelling acting or compelling writing, you've got a compelling story. Yeah. And so I don't know. I I guess one other thing to think about is like maybe this is more of an issue with television um than it is with games just because like television tells a lot of story in a in a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Um and and because of how, you know, episodic different shows can be and how serialized movies can be, like you will see a character really develop a lot over time. Yeah. Right. Um whereas with like a character like you know Samus Aran, there's probably some strong parasocial relationship trends as well. And some of the games that she's been in in the franchise, which has spanned, you know, decades, have not been well received because of how that character was presented in mm-hmm. that game. And yeah. others have been really well, well received because of she was especially emotive in that game, you know, which yeah. is pretty wild. But like not in the way that that felt like contradictory to her character. Yeah. Um and not every not I mean, I think I feel like it's like if you look at the game industry overall like all the games ever there aren't that many characters that span that length of time mm-hmm. so maybe that's one of the reasons why this is typically something that's discussed in when it comes to media as something that's with like with streamers or with podcasters or with um fictional characters in television because there's just there's more there's more meat there a lot of the time i don't know well i, I think it's a lot of it is the fact that it's when you're samus Aran, you are you you do, you are playing as her, mm-hmm. right? And so that relationship is a little different, um, in that you sort of view those stories through her eyes, and so the relationships you have are with the other characters in a game like that. Um, I mean, Metroid's an example where there's not a lot of story all told, so there's yeah. there's maybe not too much to hook into. Um, but you know, but yeah, if in television, you are definitely you don't per, you're not personified anywhere, so um, you end up forming a relationship with Walter White. And then, you know, oh boy, <laughs> right. And you, and that, so that's what the, the anti hero trend in television. It was, you know, a lot of writers didn't understand 
what kind of relationships they were forming with their their audience. Mm. Um, you know, all the people who love Rick and Morty, and every week that show is telling you how bad that character is. Right. And you're and a lot of people don't get it because th- there's an inherent, uh, you know, a uh, um, uh, desire to. To, I have a relationship with the character, and so I have to find the good in them, yeah. or I have to root for them. Yeah. And you know, you can root for the bad guy, but you know, at a certain point, you know, no, no amount of Rick and Morty, the television show, telling you that Rick is a terrible person that you'd never want to hang out with, but it depicts him doing cool things that right. you would want to hang out with. It's like yeah. there's, there's, I think that that does happen, like you say, more in those types of media because it's. The, the format is designed around it mm-hmm. in, in a way and mm-hmm. games not as much I don't think yeah um, which I think a lot of narrative designers might object to because there are lots of great narrative in games there's just not I mean per you know percentage by volume not quite as much yeah yeah maybe it's interesting you bring up great narrative in games oh really I wonder yeah. why that is because well we're gonna do the call to action yes <laughs> <laughs> I have the t-shirt. You have the t-shirt. I have the t-shirt. You have the t-shirt. Did you get a t-shirt? I do have a t-shirt. You have a t-shirt. I do. And Mark has a t-shirt. I wore mine yesterday. Ooh. Was it soft? It was very soft. Did it have our logo? It did. Check. On the front and the back. And the back. Mm -hmm. Did you receive this as a gift? Uh, From myself to myself. (laughs) What a thoughtful person. (laughs) Have you given the t-shirt as a gift? Uh, Yeah, I got one for Dale. Nice. I did too. I got one for my mom. Nice. I was thinking about getting one for my dad because <laughs> Father's Day. Well, I guess would have passed by now, but um, that's a great idea. Gonna... So you need to get on it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. Quick, making a note here. Ellen, get t-shirt for dad. Yeah. You can do that at nicegames.club/shirt. Thanks for the reminder, Stephen. <laughs> Shipping should be pretty quick too. Ooh. So you should be all right. Good to know. Good to know. Ooh, okay. Good. Safe. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of narrative, I don't know. We already did that transition. Uh, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to uh, talk about, Stephen? Narrative pacing. Ooh. Um, basically, this is just a topic for me to complain about how games don't do this right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have a solution, so I guess I can write That's a trick you've played before, I think. Oh, plenty of times. <laughs> plenty of times. Isn't that why people create podcasts to begin with? <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not this podcast specifically. We're nice games, of course. Um, narrative pacing, what is it? It's where you, you pick, you know, where you put all the, the cool, fun stuff, where all the cool, fun stuff goes and where all the boring exposition stuff goes. You need to put that in a way to keep the, the player engaged or, or listener or viewer or what have you engaged in the story, but not, you don't want to like 
pile everything in the beginning and then you just have an hour of boring nothingness because then like why are you watching the rest of the hour you know um so that's narrative pacing um games don't do it right i'm here to say yeah and i'm guilty of this myself Mm -hmm. as a game developer um i think that games oftentimes pace themselves like their movies i think specifically triple a games do this Hmm. which is i think a problem um because like you know in a movie you know you're watching a movie for an hour and a half two hours uh, and that's it games are like 10 times long 10 times as long as that Mm -hmm. um so it's difficult to hold your that attention to the narrative that long it's just it's just it's just i don't it's not possible right in the same way uh i think a lot of times with games too like the people remember the big moments like the stuff that i mean i guess this is the same with like with with movies and stuff too but i feel like you remember like a lot of lines and things that happen that bring you to these moments um but with video games you just remember the big things that happen mm-hmm. the big things that you did or your character did in a cutscene or whatnot um and because games are so much longer than movies uh you don't really like you can't remember what happens when like some big narrative thing happens so like if someone's parents die you'd be like who are those characters again like when, by the time that happens because like I don't know that that was yeah. um, 10, 10 hours ago when you were introduced to these characters. Yeah, a lot of times a video game will fill in its time not with more for the main character, but with more characters. Yes, side characters, and so you have these thin, you have like seven thin plots that all are stretched out over twenty hours. Right, and so yeah, it's very difficult to like you. It's like you check back in on this for the next beat of their story. And then you're like, wait, what's it? What happened? Yeah, why, yeah. Why do I care? How does this relate to anything? Yeah, actually, a lot of like games remind me of TV shows in that way. Like mm-hmm. you'll cut like I mean, because TV shows are actually comparable in terms of length a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, with video games. Um, and and I think that like uh, you know, in between seasons, you'll forget what happened to so and so character because I mean. You know, it's been a well. It's been several months. This is a bit of it's a bit different from video games because mm-hmm. oftentimes when you play a video game, you play it through full, but sometimes you don't. Um, and so you'll forget what happened to these characters because, like, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not at the front of your mind by the time you start watching the next season or mm-hmm. what have you, or even the next episode, really. Um, and I think that like this is an issue that like we haven't quite figured out yet, especially right. since as games get longer, triple um, A games are you know getting longer than much longer than they were in the past. Um, it becomes more and more of an issue that we haven't quite figured out. <laughs> so I am here to ask us, Nice Games Club, for help. Because <laughs> I don't know how to solve this. Do better. Yeah, do better, but um, figure it out for me. <laughs> no, no. Well, part of the problem is the the interactive nature of games. Exactly. You yep. know, the, in, a, in a film or a television show or any kind of linear narrative, the the uh, it can be, like I've, you know, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a very long movie. Yes. Doesn't feel that long. Yes. Because each it's well paced mm-hmm. is why. And and what you can do, pacing requires control over the narrative. Yeah. And video and video game developers just don't have that or have right. as much of that by design. Mm-hmm. And so that's another reason why you shouldn't make your game play like a movie, because like by definition, you cannot achieve the same thing. Exactly. Um, you know, a piece of plot, a piece of dialogue, you know, is it propels you to the next thing. Yeah, and in video games, you are what propels you to the next thing. Right. Yeah, and so um, even if you do have a really great scene that does then propel the plot, you are still the one who has to do it. Yeah, and so the feeling is just very different. Right. Right. And so it, it's it, games can be really, really long. They they can be as long as as anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a twelve hour game versus an eighteen hour game. 
can feel the same in terms of the overall arc yeah. because there isn't that sort of propulsive plot. And that's why games, I think, can be... Lo- I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not complaining that games are too long. Yeah. I do complain that games are too long. <laughs> okay. But I, I think that that's maybe not the problem here necessarily. It's right. that, that uh, structurally, games can't be paced the same way as in a story. Yes. Therefore, they can be as long as they need to be. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't make it worse the longer it gets. Right. Right. Once you once you once the game is more than three hours long, then you've broken it, and and it won't get any worse if it's twenty or thirty hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting solution to this, though, is to just make your game shorter, just make it two hours long, yeah. and then you can pace it like a movie, and it would make as much sense. But again, like you're saying, Mark, the player gets to determine how quickly they go through the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. And so it doesn't it doesn't exactly solve the you know the interactable problem. It doesn't solve that the player gets to control the pacing. So a couple of examples come to mind that might be interesting to dissect. So one of them is for me um, is Breath of the Wild, right? Yeah. So like first of all, something that it, I think it did right was that the narrative was pretty simple and yeah. also familiar, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, you're the chosen one. It's Link again, and you're gonna save the princess. Uh-huh. And so it's like rule is in danger, and it's right. Ganon, yeah. <laughs> but like. The specifics of how that story took shape in that nation slash state of that world was something that you were constantly reminded of as you explored the environment. And so they did like they really rested upon the environmental storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, And and let me explain a couple examples that I think bear this out. Mm -hmm. So um, one, like all the temples and everything, like you're interacting with the, the different parts of this world. Yeah. And that like reminded you of the different places that you were like getting power and where the power in the world came from and that you had Koroks you could go visit at the tree. Yeah. You know, th- those little reminders were everywhere. You had dragons in the sky or something you could do. And there was horses over there, like all these constant reminders in the environment that you would just happen upon, regardless of what order you did things in. Mm-hmm. They were these patterns in the environment. Um, and these repeating things that would come up that would remind you of parts of the story, um, even if you weren't engaged in like the main storyline, mm. it was always there reminding you. You could always see that mountain in the distance. Yeah, you could always like, you could always see the little like lizard, you know, walking around. There was a bird flying, and like you knew there was that lizard over there. You could see these things that were part of the story, even if you weren't directly interacting with them. They were there to remind you a lot. Um, uh, always about what, what, what the what the meta narrative was. Yeah. Um. The other thing was, like, they kept the story simple, like I mentioned, and then they did, like, at these these tentpole moments, right, which were predictable, they did give you, like, the backstory. They gave you the cutscenes mm-hmm. and the story of, like, who Link was. It gave you the memories back. Yeah. Um, And that felt really, it made sense to me as a player, even though those cutscenes weren't. They weren't like directly chrono- chronological, right? It wasn't right. like this yeah. cutscene immediately led into the next one. It wasn't like, here's two hours of Link's life. These were scenes that were pulled from different parts of his life yeah. that you then got to stitch together in your head and you got to do the work of constructing the narrative. Well, it's not just that. I think it's the Breath of the Wild does a really good job of telling a different story than the one you are engaging in. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking, when you see that scene of of Zelda researching the old uh those old foes mm. like that's not something that's happening right now to link right so that you're not in, you're you are actually not part of that story mm-hmm. and so that actually lets it tell it in a way that's more conventional because all you're doing is uncovering an, a story rather than you, you are telling your own yeah but that's separate from the main narrative of the game right which is why the one criticism i have i mean i have plenty but the main criticism i have of the way breath of the wild did this is is that 
toward the end, it started to be like the open world thing where like there's a big urgent crisis that you can get to whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for most of that game, that's not what it is. It's you you complete one thing and then you can now do it gives you kind of a it keeps it the, the possibility space relatively small. These are the next three things you can do. And so it's kind of it's manageable. Mm-hmm. But there's no does it, no necessity for you to do any of that now mm-hmm. because the, the the urgency isn't there yet. It comes a little later and then it then I think it falls apart a bit. But that's what's nice about the story in that game is that it is it is not your story in in a weird way. Yeah. So it kind of avoids some of those pitfalls. Not all games can do that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But like you you're not saving Hyrule. It's gone. It's been, you know, there's ruins everywhere. Like and so most of the time in that game you are just exploring and then that that's your story and there's no there's nothing in there that that fights it until near the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I'd argue that like ultimately there's not a lot of plot mm-hmm. in Mm-mm. Breath of the Wild, and that's why it's fine, and not necessarily because like, I don't know that the pacing in Breath of the Wild. I would, I don't, I guess I'd argue that the pacing in Breath of the Wild is not good, just in this in the same way that I'm arguing about most games. <laughs> um, in that like you know you, most of this stuff is optional, and most of this stuff, which I guess is fine, but most of this stuff is also you know just happens. They just happen somewhat randomly. You can stumble across um all of the different places that you're supposed to go in order to get the beat the t- the giant temple thing m- Big machine thing yeah. yeah and eventually yeah. get to ganondorf but you just stumble across them after some point i don't think that i think the game tells you you can go to these places and you can go to these places but like because there's so many things that you could explore right out of the gate you don't have to go to those places and the game intends for you to not necessarily go to those places right away they just give you objectives as a potential goal, if you're like, I don't know what to do, I'll just go where the game told me to go. Um, so I don't know that I would say that, like, narratively, the Breath of the Wild does it right. Mm-hmm. You're saying that they kind of sidestep the issue. Yes. Well, okay, so it was... I don't think that's. I mean, that is a solution, right? I'm looking for solutions. Right. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that's what that's the solution. Mm-hmm. I guess the other one, the other example I wanted to bring up, just again to dissect and see what it can tell us, is yeah. that is Dark Souls. Oh gosh. Okay. So <laughs> right? no, because there is like you, you. There is almost it almost tells you nothing. Yes. And yeah. this the narrative is something you have to really dig for. Yes. <laughs> and that you're creating along the way. Yeah, that is just a collection of library books. <laughs> that's what that's what Dark Souls. Yeah. Is. Here's a, here's Plus the same next thing. Cards, it's, it's, make a story. It's yeah. um, it's somebody else's story, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and like like yeah, in Breath of the Wild and Dark Souls, they sidestep the problem. Yes, but it's because they're not engaging in a like a impossible task. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I don't know if I'd say Dark Souls is someone else's story, but I want to hear what you meant by that. Well, I think that the what is interesting narratively about those games is uncovering the world. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately the your the tale of you from start to finish is not that interesting. There's not a lot of demands on that part of the story. Right, right. right? The tale of you is okay, you're the you know, the chosen undead and you're taken to the place and you just keep at it until you win. Right. That's their story. You did it. You're the one. Good job. Yeah. Right. And there's it doesn't it doesn't ask the player to be impressed by that. Right. Right. No. Um, you should be impressed by yourself. For <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's a that's a user story. Right? right. That's that's you, the player, actually doing something. Right. 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 Um, not necessarily the, the seeing it unfold in the game. Right. And so that gets to be its own story, and then the game kind of gets out of the way of that. Yeah. And then yeah, the, the narrative it tells is separate from that. So we've got two solutions for you, Severn. So far, we've got tell a simple story and use lots of environmental storytelling and. 
tell no story and use a lot of environmental storytelling. Well, I, I think a lot of times when games do it, they ignore you. They give the player the option to ignore the narrative, um, or or you know it's not implemented into the game. Yeah, there are competing um, motivations for players. Yes, and so the games that I think fall the furthest on that are like where they develop a narrative and don't make it required. Yeah, and then there's just no way it can be good then. Mm-hmm. Right, like a, that's right. kind of a blanket statement because it's not the point. But I do sort of feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the point of why you're playing the game, and I mean that's fine because sometimes you just need an excuse for things to happen so that the game works, yeah. the world works, I yeah. should say. Um, but like, it, it, it doesn't allow you to develop a narrative that is compelling for players. Mm-hmm. Um, it can give you like an overall interesting message or theme, you know. Um, which is, I mean, in its own way, cool, but it's not a narrative. It's not a story. It's not yeah. a you're not telling a player that character did this and such and such happens and you know fancy stuff i don't know i'm not a writer uh (laughs) maybe that's part of the problem (laughs) (laughs) um uh i i I think back to like games that you know we worked on um with widget satchel like we most of the narrative is told through cutscenes that happen in between levels right Mm -hmm. um so like and i think like in widget satchel like we encourage the player to explore each level and and discover new fun things about it and collect all the widgets and buy doohickeys because you know that's those are the staples. Yeah. Of course you'd want to buy doohickeys. Yeah. And explosions, right? <laughs> right. None of that stuff <laughs> is in the cutscenes. <laughs> the net the, the motivation for the players, I think, and I mean I suppose listeners correct me if I'm wrong, but the motivation for players does not have to do with the narrative for the most part, right? Uh, actually, I take it back a little bit because, uh, Mark, you had this brilliant idea while we were developing the game to add terminals um, to the game that you can discover as you're exploring. Yeah. So you can discover more lore as you're, you know, exploring, which is, which, you know, that pairs things together well. Yeah. So the, the way that the cutscenes of Widget Special work are that it's the story of the humans yes. and and their story, mm-hmm. which is you are, you as the player are causing everything right. that they're reacting to. Yeah. But you are watching their story, mm-hmm. and you are playing your story, yeah. and you're watching their story. Yes. And so the cutscene, uh, um, Sprocket appears in none of the cutscenes, right? Right. The character you play, and so um, that is, you'd think that would be kind of boring if you're not invested in those characters. But basically, that tells the player, like they can check into this story, and it is just a linear story. Yeah. And then, and in between the chapters of the story, you do some stuff. Yeah. And so. Um, it is essentially, it's another way of sidestepping the problem, yeah. right? So the solutions. Like the player's motivations are not um, pinned down by the cutscenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, you, pl- you play the game as Sprocket, but Sprocket has their own motivations that, are, that the story can, you know, uh, hint at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I tried really hard not to have anything contradictory in there. Yeah, um, and I think that all works. Yeah. But I, I guess I'm arguing that the pacing of it, you know, uh, you forget what characters are what by the time you get to the next level, I think. Yeah. In Widget Satchel. It's not also, it's also not really important for the player to remember the names of the characters. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm terrible at names. Gosh. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just, I think but I it, displayed that today. Specifically yeah. in Widget Satchel. Like, right, right, you right. Know, yeah. The, the, you should because the names are fun. Yeah. Um, Commander Key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, it's not mechanically important for you to remember that. Whereas like, you're not yeah. like navigating through your squad menu trying to pick. Well, you're obviously right. going to pick Rex because why wouldn't you? But, yeah. Right, you, right, right, I right. mean, even narratively, it's not, it, yeah. it's not, a, yeah. it's not important to remember the characters names or anything like that. But I'm saying that right. like, I think that like, it, it, it does kind of feel like happenstance. Well, Sprocket's doing things. And then also the humans are doing things. 
Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the player does not have to engage with that narrative, aside from the fact that there's literally a cutscene you have to skip. Right. Um, each cutscene is its own little story. Too. Yes. Yeah. So like because each cutscene focuses on one of the human characters. Yeah. Uh, until the very end is oh. the outro. Mm-hmm. And so basically you could have forgotten everything of the past cutscene. Yeah. And the next cutscene, you will not be disadvantaged by that. Yeah. And that's- so that's because I, when I was thinking about what to put in the cutscenes, mm-hmm. we didn't know yet how long it would take players to complete each level. Right. So I made sure that we didn't r- demand they remember like, you know, why Auntie is taking the elevator down yeah. when later we see... um uh, Maggie uh, deal with the uh, malfunctions on the ship. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it each one they're very short, but they have a beginning, middle, and end all their own. That's interesting to tell like very, very short stories mm-hmm. in between gameplay moments. Yeah, like you, you you'll see a, a cutscene, and then like a character will, will you know emerge into a room, and then everyone else will react, and you're like, and you were like, who is that person? Because yeah. you forgot about them, mm-hmm. like that because it's demanding something on the player, right? Um, and and other, you know other games do this, but with Widget Satchel, it was a case of like, well, if it, it gives the players the option how mu- how invested they want to be in it, yeah, but it doesn't punish them for whatever choice they make, yeah, right, right? yeah, okay. I wonder what you think about the structure. We, this is kind of related, but like using, you know, first of all, separating moments that are highly narrative from moments that are very gameplay oriented, right, mm-hmm. and then of course balancing it. And I think this is what, you know, I would expect from a lot of games, right? You're going to be balancing it heavily on the gameplay side and the narrative side is going to be less. Yeah. Um, But it sounds like one of the issues you have with that framework is that the narrative moments aren't usually placed in satisfying or effective intervals or places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder what you think about like the idea, um, not to, you know, not to. I guess I'm thinking about Mass Effect a lot, so I should play it again. Um, <laughs> but like, you've got you would get like a cutscene at the beginning of the mission, and you'd understand what you're trying to do, and yep. then you'd play. They'd like you drop you down, camera zoom back, and now you're in control and you're going to do your mission. Right. And then you know there might be like a uh, kind of like a um, like a climactic or semi climactic moment in the middle of that mission where. Garrus comes back, yay! Mm-hmm. And you get a tiny little cutscene there that kind of like, okay, you have this character back. Um, and then you finish your mission, you complete the objective, and then you might have another cutscene at the end. It's kind of like a really little reward yeah. for for the gameplay part. Right. And you're not getting huge like galaxy shattering narrative in those pieces. It's a little, it's a lot tighter than that. It's more about the interactions between the characters in that scene. But you you are getting a you know some of you know it does tie back into the overall story, and you are in control of when it happens, but it's also happening at kind of these predictive moments in the mission, right? You, yeah, and yeah. it does train you that it's going to happen at the beginning, it might happen in the middle, and it's going to happen at the end. Right, it's an effective use of formula because a lot of times the the narrative of the of the game, the plot of a game, will interfere with the user story. Yeah, and I think the the Mass Effect does a pretty good job of like just teaching you its format mm. and then sticking to it like that does seem kind of like maybe damning with faint praise but if you're going to be interrupted in the middle of a mission with a cutscene, it is nice if you are expected to be interrupted around that time yeah right yeah. and it can surprise you in certain ways but it doesn't feel like like three seconds into the cutscene, you're like oh I, I get why this is here yeah and i think one of the the example i think that does that very badly i think is um a hollow knight oh is, okay yeah it, it would just 
con I mean, every time I came across some plot, I was not expecting it and I didn't want it. Yeah. And every time I was really interested in the plot, I I was just lost in the, the oh levels gosh. and didn't know where to go. Yeah. And so it just it was it was perpetually unsatisfying in that way. Yeah. Which is kind of weird because that game does have a lot of lore. Mm-hmm. Um but I I mean and you know, opinions vary. I'm not making a definitive statement here, but like I really thought it did that po- very poorly. You know, that's interesting because one of the things that I I think happens maybe this is just something that 3D games are able to do better or just have for some reason done better. But there are like certain affordances in the environment mm-hmm. that tell you like there is a cutscene coming up. Yeah. You yeah. know, like when's the last time you played a Final Fantasy game and you didn't know there was a cutscene through that door? You know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah. And and I can think of like 2D games even like Metroid Dread, where I was surprised at some moments when there was a cutscene. Mm-hmm. Even though like yeah, I knew there was a door. I'm leaving this part of the screen and it's that kind of door where I'm in changing rooms, but like it wasn't clear that I was going to change into a room that had a boss in it. Right. And that's fine. I think it's, that's not actually like that's fine for that game because that game was about surprising you and letting making you react in the moment. Um but it does make me think about how that could be another tool to help control some of that pacing, right? Yeah. And cuz it, it's it is control without control. You're still putting the player in control of the pacing, mm-hmm. but you are also creating this pattern of communicating when things are going to be changing and when things are going to be happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, 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 we try to pace games just in general. Like, we try to place the player's in- engagement with the game in general. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I'm trying to argue that we should do that with narratives better. Um, and I think, you know, we're making attempts at that. I think that the way you talked about how Mass Effect does a level um does make more sense does seem better to me i mean i fell off of mass effect by mass effect 2 but i did like the first mass effect mm-hmm. um and i think that like a lot of times yeah there will be like a standalone narrative that maybe ties back into the overarching narrative that helps players like it helped me understand what the heck was going on when i would come back to the game because it's just it's such a long game just yeah. the first one is so long mm-hmm. they get longer right yeah um so um having those little things uh come back to the core of what you're trying to do i think helps um helps players remember things as they're playing through it yeah um i mean oftentimes now games have like a big old section in their in their ui or whatever that tells you that you can read through all of the different lore bits that you found um and they'll have like a, a journal it's like i did this today i did this today and i think that like helps you remember things too but it's like it's a lot of reading yeah. just to get back into where you were before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's a great solution either. It is the solution. But. You know, I think the interesting thing about video games, especially ones with lots of optional side missions, yeah. is that the the what we think of as pacing is a is sort of isn't quite what we expect. Like okay, yeah. if if you you know, you finish a mission and then it's like here are two places you could go to continue the main story. And games increasingly will will identify main story quests versus side quests yeah um so just to leave there no no confusion Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how i feel about that Mm -hmm. but um or you can go off and do 100 other missions but if you do 100 other missions that doesn't really ruin the pacing of the overall story necessarily it certainly can Mm -hmm. but i think of it a lot like you know you know you're watching a two-hour movie and you're 10 minutes in and you pause it and then you go eat dinner Sure. And then you start it again and you get through another 40 minutes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's 11 o'clock. So you pause it and then you go to sleep. Yeah. And you watch the last 20 minutes of it three weeks later. Yeah. You can still look at that 
and think that movie is pretty well paced. Like, huh? Right? Like you can think of it as yeah, a, a okay. whole piece, even though sure. you experienced it um, with interruptions. Yeah. Okay. And games have that. Um, yes. And so that alone isn't necessarily a problem. Right. It's just a matter of like motivating the player to continue on. And then when they look back on that plot, do, do they feel the same way about that that they would about a movie they paused 10 times yeah. over the course of three weeks? Okay. Um, that's a good, that's a good way of framing it. Cause that's true. Like if you, yeah, if you were to watch, yeah. well, we talked about Star Wars, I guess if you were to watch Star Wars and you, you know, you split halfway through and then watch the, the other half in two weeks. Um, I guess I would argue that the, the 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 movie didn't hold your attention well enough to keep you engaged long enough to continue to watch it, even though you were tired. Well, I'm imagining scenarios that you had no control over. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I would totally stay up late and watch the rest. Of the I mean, I, I would too. But <laughs> right. I, you know. What I mean, it's not really a problem. Yeah. Okay, like yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, watch yeah. half a movie and then forget to watch the other half. Yes. And then remember, and then like the you know weeks later, and like maybe you forgot a, little, a couple of things or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you 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 kind of give you don't think that's a problem. I guess my point is is that. Pacing is less a function of time yeah. than we assume. Okay. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's true. I, I yeah. would agree with that statement. It's about like, it's, it's like, it's things um, being motivated. So you, co- you go from one scene to the next scene. Are you motivated to check out the you have three plot lines intersecting in a movie? Right. You, how you cut between them depends on like what information was in the scene you were just in. Does that make you ask a question in your head about another one of the plot lines? Mm-hmm. And then the, the movie cuts to that plot line. And then you're satisfied because yeah. that was on your mind. Yeah. Games work the same way. Yeah. Um, and you just get to control the order in which you do all the things. Right. But the, the gameplay designer, the narrative designer has a lot of the same kind of agency to guide your motivations. Yes, absolutely. Um, to, and then you can just circumvent it all you want. You can play, go to the, 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 the in-game bar and play in-game darts. Yeah. For f- a bunch of, you know, for weeks just to build up your fake currency. Mm-hmm. And then you can continue on the, on the side mission or the main story. And that doesn't really ruin the pacing. Right. Cause you, you know, you're still, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, um, I mean, I sort of started off by talking about how, how dangerous it is when these open ended spaces that you can fill with any game content. Mm. But also at the same time, that doesn't really preclude you from having a tightly paced main story. Yes. That feels like you're arguing against what I my whole position was for this <laughs> this whole topic. Well, what I mean to say is that there's no formula. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So then we're in agreement. <laughs> well, it's like it's like yeah. movies that are long but feel uh, breezy, or yeah. movies that are 90 minutes and just like you're like you know yawning the whole time. Mm-hmm. It, it is less. It just has nothing to do with the time. Yeah. It yeah. It it sounds like maybe yeah. Instead of thinking about time between cutscenes, maybe it's thinking about the. Um, attention kind of as currency you know like because if yeah i'm not sure how to like maybe there's an existing system that lets you kind of map this a bit Mm -hmm. but i wonder if there's a way to think about like the attention that a player is spending on gameplay versus narrative um and how you could map that to like the story of your game i think i've mentioned like kurt vonnegut's shapes of stories before Mm -hmm. on the podcast and i'm envisioning something like the shape, you know, you take the shape of the story that you're going to tell in your game and then you like can break it up at different points and figure out like, okay, it's at this part of the story where we're going to have lots of this gameplay. And then, you know, it might help you like, it might help you kind of map out the, the tug for the player's attention between things that you are making as explicit like narrative tent poles that require a lot of attention to make sense of mm-hmm. and then like lots of gameplay that require the player's attention to, to execute mm. maybe that's a way to do it 
that's like more process oriented rather than like here's an example of a game that we think did it well. Yeah. 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 If you can I mean if you can tell your story with your game mechanics, then you're just way ahead of the curve on this. Yes. That's a huge challenge and you're not always going to be great at it. Mm-hmm. Um but it, I think it all just comes down to the motivation to go do the next thing, either mechanically or narratively. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. If, if you go off on a million side quests, but as long as that motivation is still in your head to go back to it, great. But if, if the longer you go off on doing something else and that motivation fades away, then then the pacing starts to suffer as a result of that. Yeah. yeah. That might be something that comes up in playtesting too, right? Like yeah. you watch for that and you're like, okay, people are taking a lot of time away from the you know, away from this on the side quests, maybe I need to find a better, like a way to ramp them back up when they're ready to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to make it irresistible so you only stay away for so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can stay away as long as you want and when you decide to go back, you still feel the way you felt when when it was presented to you. Yes, yeah. we are we are agreeing. Yeah. 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 Uh, no solutions today. <laughs> That's fine. It's not our job. <laughs> Sorry, Steven. We didn't solve your problem. <laughs> had some- I, I didn't anticipate us solving the problem, but I'm glad we had a good conversation about it. Yeah. Just let the players do what they want, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter, at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and doing push-ups. We like hearing from you, so tweet back or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Game Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. If you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. That's it for this week. So until next time, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.